If you would please take out your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm chapter 98. Psalm 98, as you know, that's the basis for the hymn, Joy to the World, that we're looking at these few weeks in December. As we go to God's word, let's return to him once again in prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, as we come before your word, we ask that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, minds to know, hearts to embrace, and hands to work out your truth. Father, may your word that has been read and your word that we will consider now strengthen us with patience and endurance to run the race set before us. And Father, while we are running, may we rest in the confidence that the good work begun in us will be carried on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I think all of us remember in school learning how to close a letter. What to say at the end of a letter. Sincerely, sincerely yours. Best regards, best wishes. And lately, I've just seen people can't even say best wishes or best regards. They just say best. And I guess we fill in the blank. But also, I've noticed a trend over the last few years. A letter ends or an email with this word. Blessings. Blessings. Now, it expresses a common desire of all people. People want blessings for others and themselves as well. People know something's wrong and they, are, they're, they're, they want there to be blessings. They want there to be joy. Joy to the world. We're on week three of our four-week series to unpack and expose the biblical truth found in the hymn, Joy to the World. This hymn is a launching point into the scriptures because the hymn's central theme is there is great joy in the Lord's coming, in the Lord's rule, in the Lord's blessing, and in the Lord's favor. In your uh, bulletin is an insert with Psalm 98 on one side and the original text of the hymn, the two hymns that Isaac Watts, the father of English hymnody, produced out of Psalm 98. Isaac Watts wrote upwards of 750 hymns, and he has been rightly known as the father of English hymnody. Now, in 1719, he put together a collection of the hymns that he had been writing entitled The Psalms of David, imitated in the language of the New Testament and applied to the Christian state and worship. As we've been saying and learning, Watts did not paraphrase the Psalms. No, he's imitating the Psalms as they are seen through the lens of Jesus Christ. He's looking at an Old Testament Psalm through the completion of the canon, through the New Testament, which and all of Scripture finds its central unifying theme in Jesus Christ. Let me go ahead and read Psalm 98, the basis for joy to the world. 
Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Indeed, as we saw two weeks ago, this hymn is really about the second advent of Jesus Christ. When he will return to judge the world with righteousness and all peoples with equity. And yet to get to the second advent, we have to go through the first advent. This entire hymn that we will sing in just a few minutes is jubilant. But I believe that verse 3 is the triumphant note of the hymn, for it makes known the reason why Jesus Christ is come. That is, has come and will come again. Great joy is found in the blessing that the coming of Jesus brings to the world. As we will see in the blessing's declaration as well as in its demand. Let's think first about great joy in the declaration of his blessing. Well, why did Christ come? This is the main question that the third verse of Joy to the World answers. Why did Jesus Christ come? To make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. Now, in order to understand this, we need to first ask two more basic questions raised by the hymn text. First, Let's consider the curse. What is the curse? Well, hopefully all of us were listening to the Old Testament reading. We heard the description of the curse pronounced following man's fall into sin in Genesis 3. Sin entered humanity. Corruption entered creation. What was innocent became guilty. It's the story that explains why things go wrong and why people do wrong. Chapter 3 in the verses that were read is God's curse, the response to sin. And did you notice God curses the serpent, the woman, the man, and the entire earth? When God gave the law to his people under Moses, attached to the covenant he made with his people at Sinai, are a positive sanction and a negative sanction. In other words, there is good and there is bad. There are blessings and there are curses. Again, Deuteronomy 11, 26 through 28, we read this. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way that I am commanding you today to go after other gods that you have not known. Deuteronomy 28 is an entire chapter devoted 
to blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. But in the beginning of the curse of the serpent, you heard the first proclamation of the gospel where the Lord God promises that the offspring of the woman would bruise the head or crush the head of the serpent while the serpent himself would bruise the heel of the offspring of the woman. What is the curse? We see that in Genesis 3. We see it further made known in Deuteronomy. Well, what are his blessings? If that's the curse, what are the blessings? Well, what are the blessings of Jesus Christ in particular? The already, we read in, in Ephesians 1.3, God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. What are the blessings that Jesus brings? In our confession of faith, and specifically our shorter catechism, Question 32 says this, what benefits or what blessings do they that are effectually called partake of in this life? They that are effectually called do in this life partake of justification, adoption, and sanctification, and the several benefits which in this life do either accompany or flow from them. What benefits, what blessings do we receive? All the benefits of the work of Jesus Christ such as justification, being declared right with God, adoption, being received and welcomed into the family of God, with God as your father, sitting at the table, as it were, that Bob presented in our mind's eye. And sanctification, being renewed and restored slowly but surely into the image of Christ. And some of those other benefits, some of those other blessings that flow, assurance of God's love. Peace of conscience, joy in the Holy Spirit, increase of grace and perseverance to the end. The curse and the blessings. Now these blessings, wow, this raises a couple of more questions. How were these blessings achieved? And how are these blessings received? Well, first, how were they achieved? Of course, it's through the work of Christ. And that meant God becoming man and doing for man, doing for you and me what we could never do for ourselves. It meant the incarnation, the word becoming flesh, God becoming man. Jesus tells us that he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. To redeem those who were under the law that we might receive adoption as sons. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil, John writes in his first letter. And the author of Hebrews writes that Jesus came to destroy through his death the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and to deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. The work of Jesus Christ, in other words, is to remove the curse of sin and death. To remove the curse by becoming a curse. Let me read it again from Galatians 3, verses 
13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. It's as if the one who was the incarnation of the glory of God became the incarnation of sin. He who knew no sin became sin. As we read in 2 Corinthians 5.21. How were the blessings achieved? Only through the work of Jesus. But how were they received? In other words, how does the there and then of Jesus' work in history become the here and now in your life, in your story? How does the over there become right here? How does the back then become the right now? Good question to ask, isn't it? I remember one time somebody, I was out doing door-to-door evangelism and, and somebody said, uh, well, are you saved? And he said, yes, well, when? Oh, about 2,000 years ago. Well, he had a point. Saved by the work of Christ. You're not saved by your confession of sin. You're saved by Jesus' work. Trusting in that. That's how you lay hold of it. By faith. And so the coming of Christ brings joy, not just to the world in general, but to your life, your world in particular. Think with me for a moment. What are the curses that are going on in your life right now? What weeds are growing in your garden? What toil An intense labor, frustration is going on in your life right now. What are the blessings in your life right now? I appreciated Bob leading us to pray for broken relationships because at root, many of our difficulties in life are because people aren't getting along. There's difficulty in families. There's difficulty in neighborhoods. There's difficulty in churches. Jesus makes his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Now in this third verse, Watts declares something to be believed. Christ comes to make his blessings flow. But we also see Something to be done. And what is that? I believe it's there in the first part of the verse. Look with me. No more let sins and sorrows grow. This could be viewed as a declaration of the work of Christ as well, right? But I think it's better understood as a demand to stop growth and to oppose the increase of sins. In other words, to fight. How on earth can there be great joy in this command? No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. Let's look at the great joy in the demand of his blessing. 
Again, how does this call to fight sins, sorrow, and thorns bring joy? I think we need to step back and remember God's role and our role when it comes to his blessing. Remember, God gives us faith, but guess what? We do the believing. God gives us ears and he opens our ears, but we do the hearing. God gives us the blessing in Christ, but we believe it and we act upon it. So how is there joy in the fight? Well, first we need to consider the comprehensiveness of the curse. Life in a sinful and fallen world where you and I are both offender and victim. We are both people who are sinned against and people who sin. And there is sorrow and suffering and sadness. There are thorns and difficulties This is not the way it's supposed to be. Life is a mess sometimes. How joy? Well, second, we not only need to look at the comprehensiveness of the curse, but the comprehensiveness of the blessing of Christ. Sin is big, but grace is bigger. Paul writes to the Roman church where sin increased, grace increased all the more, superabounded. In our study of Psalm 32 a summer or two ago, God is more ready to forgive than we are to confess. He is more ready to hear us than we are to speak. Look at this language. It's blessings flow. It's not blessings known. I mean, Watts could have said, he comes to make his blessings known far as the curse is found. And that would have been a great way. But he says, flow. Blessings flow. Are they flowing in your life? Do you intellectually, abstractly acknowledge the blessings? Or are they flowing in your life? My friends, this demand brings great joy because God gives us both the motive to fight and the power to fight. Throughout Scripture, you see that the imperatives, what we are called to do, are grounded in the indicatives, what God has done. The commands are anchored and fueled by the, uh, uh, the statements, as it were. Remember how the Heidelberg Catechism is divided up. There's guilt of sin, there's grace in Jesus Christ, and there's a life of gratitude in response. Guilt, grace, and gratitude. Paul speaks in 1 Corinthians 15 of a power that is working in him. In Titus 2, one of the verses here, yes, the grace of God has appeared. What does it do? It trains us to say yes and to say no. The great church father Augustine said, God, command what you will, but will what you command, because he knew apart from Jesus, he could do nothing. He was absolutely dependent. He knew, as well as all Christians as they grow, what God requires. He provides. He provides both the motive for joy and the power for joy, and they're both found in the grace of God. 
How can this demand bring great joy? There's great joy in the demand His blessing brings. Because in our fight, that sometimes is a tent, intense, it's always chronic. And in our fight against sin, sorrow, and thorns, my friends, we have no other choice but to flee to Christ. And it's in the presence of Christ that there is fullness of joy. As Psalm 16, seen through the lens of the New Testament, would tell us. The declaration and the demand. Now, although in verse 3 of the hymn, the demand comes before the declaration, in the Bible, the declaration precedes the demand. Just as we know of how the Ten Commandments came to a redeemed, saved people. The announcement of blessing comes prior to and provides the foundation for the call of blessing. It's the grammar of the gospel. The indicative, these things are true, gives rise to the imperative. These are the things that we need now to do. So I want us to remember three dominant, inescapable, supremely important truths about the blessing that Jesus Christ, the God-man, the incarnate Son of God, brings to the world. The blessing of Jesus flows far as the curse is found. Grace tracks sin down and kills it. Secondly, further, it's important to know that the blessing of Jesus flows downhill. My friends, I think Watts was not accidental. He's thinking about holy gravity, as it were. The lowly, the humble, stand at the foot of the cross or maybe plant their face at the foot of the cross because grace flows downhill. As James and Peter make it very clear, God opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble. This blessing flows as far as the curse is found and it flows downhill to the foot of the cross where God's people are called to live. And finally, the blessing of Jesus brings great joy to the world. The world inhabited only by those who humble themselves before God. By those who know both their great sin and their great Savior. In John 15, verse 11, as I believe we heard earlier, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be full. My friends, God has written us a letter. And how does God close this letter? The final two chapters of Revelation, the return of Christ at the end of the age, the second advent, it's the focus of what's Him. In Revelation 21, 1 through 5, we see a new heaven and a new earth. And guess what? No more tears, no more death, no more pain, no more sin, sorrow, or thorns. And in Revelation 22, verse 3, we see no longer will there be anything accursed. 
Another translation says it like this. There will no longer be any curse. My friends, God ends his letter to us, his people, with this word. Blessings. Oh, great blessings and joy in Christ indeed. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we acknowledge as we see in your word that we were so wicked and sinful that Jesus had to die for us. And yet, Father, we also see in your word and acknowledge that we are so loved and treasured that Jesus was glad to die for us. Indeed, those who believe and trust in Jesus are the joy set before him as he's headed to the cross. Father, Jesus took your curse so that we could receive your blessing. What an amazing exchange. Father, may your word that we have just heard take up residence in our life and change us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ, our crucified and saving substitute, and our risen and reigning Lord. Oh, Father, may this be for your glory and for the good of your people now and forever. Amen. You're fine by singing the